Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing an interview with Betsy Gertz. Betsy is very difficult to describe and or categorize. She has many, many skills and talents, and she has excelled in and used all of them. She is a very skilled photographer, and she's about to launch a book called Encounter, which you will hear her talk about in the interview. She's a skilled potter and sculptor. She's a chef. She has worked extensively as an EMT and a nurse. In addition to all of that, Betsy is a survivor. She survived a very, very grave illness that took many years to recover from. Betsy's story is truly one of a kind. Hang on, here come the show. is about being the person you really are. As a therapist, it is clear to me that many too many of us are pretending to be something we're not 
and to not having access to many of the important things that we are. Unfortunately, this is true for many too many people who get an idea in their childhood that something about them is not all right and then set about to try and pretend that that's not true and get so good at the pretense that they come into adulthood without recognizing who they really are or having access to some important skills or qualities about them. Many people, maybe most people, have singular identities. They think of themselves in some way. They are a painter or a, or, a, or a dancer. They're a mother or a wife. They're a teacher or a student. They have a through line. The woman whose interview I'm playing today, Betsy Gertz, has no such through line. Betsy has been allowed to discover so many, and not only many, but diverse skills, qualities, interests, and she has pursued them all. As I said in the run-up, she's a skilled photographer, sculptor, potter. She's worked for many years as an EMT and as a nurse. She's worked as a chef. Betsy has allowed herself to pursue everything that took her fancy, that got her interest. You'll hear her say, I can do anything I want if I want to. And so anything that she wanted, she did. You will also hear her admission that she's not a baker. She's a wonderful chef, but she's not a baker because she knows about herself that she doesn't have the patience to wait for the damn thing to rise. I didn't say in the run-up, but we'll say now, that the other thing that Betsy excels in is her ability to communicate with animals. Betsy has many animals, and she lives in a space that you'll hear her call her piece of peace, where she cares for dogs and cats and horses and ponies and burros and sand crane and deer. And she cares for them with the tenderness of a mother. This is an extraordinary story. And uh, I don't want to say any more about it because Betsy is also quite articulate and tells it much better than I can. So here now is the one and only Betsy Gertz. Okay, I'm here with Betsy Gertz in her amazing house, ranch. What do you call this? You call it? My piece of peace. Your piece of peace. Yes, her piece of peace, which it so definitely is. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the space. I'm interviewing Betsy at this time because she's about to publish a book. And I want to talk about the book. But before we talk about the book, I want to talk about Betsy. And there's quite a lot to say about Betsy. Betsy is an extremely talented artist, potter, musician, and known to some of us as the animal whisperer. I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And usually, people have an art. You have more than an art. You have many art. So which was the first one to draw you? Which was the first of the things that you are spending your life doing now that made itself known to you? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, I started sculpting when I was... Um throwing and potting and sculpting when I was 12. 12? Yeah, and I started working with a guy by the name of Stephen Klein, mm -hmm. who is a New York-based photographer now. 
and he and I um, cooked together. We sculpted together. We photographed together. How did that happen? Family, friends. So he was a friend, and he's and you said I would like to learn to to sculpt or pot, and he said, "Fine, I'll do it with you." Is that, yeah, he that had that? a complete studio in his house. Uh huh. And he taught me. He taught his cousin. He taught my sister, and we became very good friends. To him, I was called Beatrice. He called me Beatrice because that's yeah, a name he liked for me. Is this a reference to Dante or no? Just uh, Beatrice, and then he got early acceptance into RISD. Yes, and went. That way, and then went to New York. Okay, so yeah. he was not that much older than you. No, he's two years older than me. Yes, and already he was doing this stuff. He yes. Was, right? Yeah. He was already... Yeah. Right. Okay, so so the working with your hands, essentially, with um, with sculpting and potting, that was the beginning of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah? And, and quickly moving to photography? Well, we did all the arts together. They wow. Were, yeah, there were um, there was a gentleman um, that lived on my street, mm-hmm. and he uh, had a dock room in his house, and he taught me, and we would go take pictures, and Stephen, and then I built a dock room and a sculpture studio in my house. And how old were you when you did that? Twelve. Twelve. You did all of this at twelve. Twelve and thirteen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, so twelve and thirteen. You're, you already know that this kind of work, the work of creating things that you either see or imagine, are, is going to be important to you, right? Yeah, but not my life. But not your life. Not my life. So, For instance, um, I liked to work from the Encyclopedia Britannica. What do you mean to work from it? I would open it and find pictures in it. Uh-huh. And there's an Abraham Lincoln that sits over there, the sculpture. And that's how that sculpture became when I was 12 from the encyclopedia. Saw the picture and then sculpted it. Okay, so you were already doing that. You were already making things that you could either see as something in the encyclopedia or something that came out of your mind, I imagine, no? Yeah. Yeah, I could see it, sculpt it, and then had my first business in the seventh grade. What was it? Growing. Um, The first one was... um, Making candles, you know, and making candles from baking wax and making candles from molds and sculpting with with candles. And then the next one was terrariums, and always had a business. Really? Can can you tell me what the motivation for that? My dad. Your oh, tell me. Yeah, my dad thought that you know you need to um, you need to be able to um, take care of yourself. You have to be able to fend for yourself. And so for my father, I was a little boy. I was not a girl. He didn't see me as a girl. He saw me as a, a boy. As his son? You know? Yes, yes. So you said you had a sister. Did she get to be the girl? I two sisters. Yeah. Two sisters and a brother. I'm the yeah. youngest. Right. So did, did, did your brother get to be a, the son as well or just My you? brother was king, yes. Oh, uh, your brother yeah. was king. So you were prince, essentially. Yeah. Uh-huh. I did all the dirty work for my dad. My brother was getting older, you know, for... How, how, how much difference is there between you all? Five years, my for, brother. Yeah, and... It's one and one and one. One birth right after the other. Wow. You know, your mother was a busy person. She sure was. Yeah, no mm-hmm. kidding. No kidding. And so, so your dad, did he, he give this message to all the kids that you have to be able to fend for yourself, you have to be able to support yourself, or just you? No, my brother. My the brother. boys. Yeah, yeah. Because yes. the girls were going to get married and somebody was going to take care of them. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually interesting. I mean, 
it seems to me that that you got the the more desirable message because it is better to I well this is my own personal feeling is that it is better to be able to take care of yourself than to believe that you're going to be dependent to a degree to a degree tell know. me I mean well you know for me I can handle that but um, my sisters you know my dad had a very affluent business and you know he didn't he didn't gift in any way the business to the girls oh. my brother ended up with the business and that you know set like that my brother financially you know partook in the business right but so he didn't have to learn how to take care of himself because it was he was just gonna he was gonna inherit his how to take care of himself he worked his way and he worked very hard for Mm -hmm. that you know I can't take that away from him but there's other girls in my family that feel differently ah yes I particularly don't because of course I don't have children I have animals well not only don't you have children but you do know how to take care of yourself Mm mm-hmm Yes. I mean, I don't know how, what your sisters wound up doing, but you started immediately to take care of yourself. And the, the, the business is, it's interesting that the candles is, as you said, very much sculptor. It is creating something with a material, right? Mm-hmm. The terrarium is something else, though, isn't it? No, it's a sculpting process. You know, you have to sculpt with the sand. You have, oh. to, you have to make the sand, you know, in a certain way. And so it's a visual, it's a visual art as well. Yes, that is what they, everything except the music is a visual art. You're a very visual person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, okay. So at 12 and 13, you're already an entrepreneur, right? You're, you know, you have your candle business and then you have your terrarium. And so at this point in your life, you're very young, but some people do. Did you have any idea what you were going to do with your life, what you were going to, how you were going to identify yourself in the future? Well, the first, um, the first logging that I did as far as what I wanted to be was to be a brain surgeon. Wow. Yeah. So and, when, and when did you make that decision? At the same age. This you know. was a busy time in your yeah. life. Oh, and my I God. I documented it. I still have the journals. And then I wanted to be a veterinarian. That's okay, do you doing. remember the motivation for brain surgery and the motivation for veterinarian? I like medicine. I like medicine. Because I just like the, um, you know, I would watch public, you know, television and always, you know, asking questions, you know, and just, you know, always interested in helping people, making, oh, fixing yeah. things. Yes. Fixing I, things. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you can fix in one way, you can fix another. Electrically, I can fix something if it's not working. Plumbing, all of those. I like fixing things. I got it. And you know? medicine, of course, is a way to fix things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And vet- veterinary is also a way of caring for. Yeah, I worked for a veterinary, um, you know, doctor for many years before before high school. And before high before school? Before high school, then in high school. And then I went to Michigan State for about a year in their pre-vet program. But I didn't, you know, didn't stay there because I, I fell in love with this guy that I, you know, was in love with this boy before I went there. And then I thought that's what I wanted to do. You thought maybe you would do the... The get married thing and have children thing? Is that what you No, nah, I never wanted kids. No, no, no I, right. You know, and so, really well, never wanted to be married either. You just wanted to be with this guy? Yeah, until I found out that he, you know, he was as gay as I was. Oh, yeah. oh well, that made, well, in that way, in that way, it, it made sense then, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so 
So you are attracted to this boy before college, right? You go to high school before high school. Oh, so it's a long term thing. In high school, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a long term thing. So when you decided to leave college, Mm. um, was it at the end of the year? Was it in the middle of a semester? Did you say I'm done? No, the end of the year. At the end of the year, I stayed there for a year. Then I came back to Rhode Island and ultimately ended up um, doing some URI extension stuff. What is that? University of Rhode Island. Oh. And then I ended up moving to Provincetown, and I was chefing for a little while, and then... Um, oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. Um, you did mention early on that while you were sculpting and photographing, you were also cooking. So uh, was he, was, was it Steve, is that who the guy did? No, Stephen, um, you mean um, Stephen Klein. No, he had nothing to do with my life at the... He went off. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. But I mean, early on, did he teach you to cook or did no, you... No, we, we cooked bread, zucchinis and stuff like that. I see. But no, my, my love for cooking, well, my dad loved to cook. He cooked, that was his job in the military. Ah. You know, he was, oh, he he was a cook. for a lot of people. Yeah, he was a cook. But no, I liked cooking as I liked eating too. I was, you know, really this big kid, but I could do anything I wanted to if I did it. Yes. That's the way it was for me in the, you know, so... I could do just about anything. So I cooked in a restaurant and ended up getting another job in a restaurant. What kind of food did you cook in this restaurant? Well, the first was short order, and then the next one was IHOP. <laughs> and then the next one was I moved um, to Provincetown, mm-hmm. and I ended up doing a sous chef under this, this guy who was a, a chef from uh, Johnson & Wales. Uh-huh. And then I took a job at the Marriott in Fort Lauderdale, and there was a sous chef there under this... Chef from the Cordon Bleu. Ooh. And then left that and then ended up going back to Provincetown and became the first female firefighter in Provincetown. Wow. And then I um, became a, an EMT, then a paramedic, and then subsequently left Provincetown. Okay, but this was an opportunity for you to use your interest in medicine. Yep. Right? To fix, to save, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and how old were you in this period? 26, maybe? Yeah, I was young. I was young. Yes, you were yeah. young. My God, you did so much in such a short period of time. And also, while they probably feel like they have a through line for you, they're very disparate. I mean, chefing and firefighting, I don't, I mean, they are not alike. I mean, what do, you, do you see a similarity there, otherwise, except for the fact that you like to do them? Well, you know, if you look at it really, um, you know, in a, in a clear kind of way, they both provide you with immediate gratification, immediate satisfaction. They you know, do. You know, they all provide. When you cook something, you prepare something, you serve it. You got it, right. You know, when you are um, responding to an emergency, you immediately have gratification or don't. Yes, the, right. You know, in, in but the like, answer is there right away. Yeah. It's the same thing yeah. with cooking. Sometimes I'm not a good baker. Out. I'm no. not a good baker. No, I can't bake for shit because... I can't wait for it to be done. I will, I will destroy it. Uh-huh. You know, You'll open, keep opening the stove and stuff yeah, like that, right? Pounding at it. And like that. <laughs> Stephen and I would make bread, you know, activating the yeast and all that, and then repounding the yeast and putting it in the oven. And they all, leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> and leave it alone. You know, so I'm not a good baker. No, you're I, not you know, a good leave it aloneer. No. <laughs> no. So at least I know that. You yes. Know, but I can go out in that studio out there and I can make anything I want. Right. You know, see it. And I can create it if I just, you know, give myself the opportunity to do that. Okay, so 
So sculpting stayed with you. Firefighting, you're not doing that these days. No, no. I didn't like firefighting. I like being a paramedic far better than, um, you know, I didn't go full-time doing fire, right? I, I left that back in Provincetown. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it at all. Okay, but paramedic, that's all about fixing and saving, right? Yeah, but I, as a medic, you know, I became a teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, you know, just um, a, higher, a higher level medic than a lot of people, if mm-hmm. I would pat myself on the back. Yeah, I, think, you know? I think it's all right. I think you deserve it. So by 26, you have done all of these things. And are you thinking what I want to do next or how I want to define myself or what I didn't do yet or what I want to bring back from what I used to do, any of that? You mean presently? No, at 26. Oh, at 26, um, you know, the the best part of my life was that um, I could, you know, go into any realm of anything that I wanted to if I had... You know, feeling like I want to try this, you know, I could, you know, but I liked, you know, I liked working on the rescue. I liked going in the kitchen, you know, and I liked being busy, yes. you know, so I can do and hop from one place to the other. Yes. Like yes, that. Yes. And so is that what you did from 26 on, essentially? No, once I took a job as a medic, I stayed with that. Yeah. You know? Medic where? Well, I left Provincetown and I went um, on a, I worked on an ambulance. And then this job came about for me um, up in the Northeast. It's an accoutrement medic. And so that means is that the, um, the truck that I was on was um, an accoutrement truck means that um, we are a truck of just paramedics that are um, a, a, a truck that um, goes to um, the aid of the local fire services. So for instance, we would have five different towns that we would be the advanced cardiac life support unit for them because at the time, up there, they didn't have paramedics on their trucks. Oh, oh. So you were the paramedic support? Yes. So here, when you look at in Sarasota anyway, you would look on the the rescue, it says advanced ALS on it, advanced cardiac life support. So that they tout that because they they have medics on their trucks. And that wasn't always the way it was. You know, because it was basic life support on the truck, and then you'd have to call in a medic, depending on the nature of the call. Wow. So that, I mean, so there's a lag time between the time they find what they need and getting somebody there to do something about Not it. Not necessarily, because the way the nature of the, the, the way the call comes in, for instance, somebody calls 911 for somebody not breathing, they immediately call me too. Right. So that there's no delay. There's no delay. Right, I got it. None. Okay, so where was that in the Northeast? Burlington, um, you know, the, the Burlington area. So uh-huh. it was Lexington, Winchester, Woburn, Reading, North Reading, okay. all those towns. Where did you live? I lived all over. I lived in, um, when I left Provincetown, I lived in Jamaica Plain. I lived in um, Newton. I lived in um, Framingham. Did you just drove in and said, I'll live here for a while? Well, yeah, I check around, you know, like a... Try this, try that, try this. I mm-hmm. never had a fear of, you know, trying something. Period. New. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how long did you do medic? Until um, I got sick in 03. 03. From uh, 84 to 03. Wow. Yeah. And I also got my uh, license as a nurse. I didn't really like that very much, though. Why? Um, I, you know, too much. I lost my autonomy. 
I was just going to say yeah. that they, you're dependent. Yeah. In the medic thing, you're doing the work. You're, you're the one. Yeah. Right. So right. I liked, didn't like the yakky yak of, of people nah, 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 mm-hmm. in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, I like being able to work freely. Yeah, you, know. you like the action anyway, the activity. Right? No, no, no. In the emergency rooms that I worked in, although it was just a, a tiny hospital, though I did work at Boston City Hospital for a little while, this is for a very short time, you know. But I like um, the autonomy of being a medic and having a say in it. Yeah, you know. And so, um, but the the knowledge that I you know acquired as a nurse was beneficial, and I like learning. Still. Yeah. If I didn't learn something today, then I didn't do my due diligence. Okay, so in 2003 you got sick? Mm-hmm. Do you mind talking about no, that? No, spinal meningitis with herpes encephalitis. And do you know how you got that? Oh, it's a, a virus, you know. Yeah, right. No, um, I, you know, was working as a nurse in the emergency room, teaching as a medic. But um, no, it came on um, at Passover, oh. you know, with a um, fever and cold symptoms and mm, that was that and then my life kind of like just went down the ditch from there did you know what was wrong with you did you have to th- I knew uh, when I went to the hospital in the morning I knew I had meningitis but they how um, did you know that well, I had the signs and symptoms of meningitis you already knew right of you course I was you not knew. surprised when right. we we um you know got that but the the steps of the whole thing were not done correctly as we say what do you mean they never cultured the specimen you know, they took the uh, L- the uh, lumbar puncture, yeah. but they never cultured the specimen. It wasn't their protocol. So then they couldn't tell specifically? Herpes encephalitis. Yeah, they the couldn't tell. Oh, my God. So they couldn't treat you adequately. Correct. Good grief. So what happened? My sister took over and got me out of the Is hospital. Is she a nurse or a doctor no. or something? No, no she's, she's just, you know, She's capable. just a sister. <laughs> yeah, she's capable of asking the right questions and mm-hmm. knowing that something was not right. So she took you out of the hospital, and where did you go? Okay. I went to the, um, the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and they did a craniectomy that night. Oh, my God. And Is that what it sounds like? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. How long were you ill? Well, that's, a, that's a multifaceted question. How long was I in the emergency room? I yeah, mean, right. How long was I in the, the CCU without, without my skull on? Oh, my you know? God. How long was I? Well, they did that. Then how long did I wear a helmet? How long? Oh my that, goodness! You know, so it's ghastly. Yes. Did this whole process take? Um, sounds like years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, many, 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 many years. My goodness. So um, I just saw the YouTube video that that Betsy made about her experience, her near dying, and her recovery experience, and I want to recommend to anybody to watch it. It's it's life changing. So you want to say what the um, how you get on that YouTube video? What the? What it's the, just Betsy Gertz, my Bet- name, and YouTube, YouTube Betsy Gertz, YouTube. and you'll see yeah. Betsy Gertz's gratitude. I believe gratitude. Well, and in it you talk about DBD. Is that DBT? DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. Behavioral therapy. You want to talk a little bit about it? What it means? What it does? Sure. And so dialectical is um, the, the reading part, dialectical, and is behavioral. And the therapy was um, developed by this Dr. Callahan. And um, she just recently was covered by the, um, the New York Times about how DBT was, um, was um, born. 
and she 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 gave birth to DBT as a necessity of her own mental health. Wow, worth its own read. And DBT is a skill set that can actually, with immediacy, change the way you do things. Just change the way you do things with a blink of an eye. A good example? Yes, please. Is that when you're acting in your emotional mind, if you will, and you know you're about ready to do something you know you don't want to, you just flip yourself and you do an opposite reaction. Ah. Mm -mm. And then you go into your little wise mind and you say, no, I don't want to do that. And so you do an opposite reaction or radical acceptance for something that there's no, there's no ability for that to change. So you just radically accept it. And you move on. And that's that. So this is a way of understanding yourself and altering yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yourself and everybody else. Else, right. And, you know, <laughs> yes. It's not just you that can, can do. But yeah, it's just a fast, it's a fast learn. And people that are in distress need a fast learn. That's exactly right. Well, not only... People who are in distress need a fast learn, but you were talking about the fact that this is kind of like um, baking bread. You don't have a lot of tolerance for waiting. So for you, this was the perfect mm-hmm. therapy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Okay, so um, at the end of the YouTube video, we see you in this space um, on this ranch with the animals and, and all of the peacefulness around you. So how did that happen? Well, I met a woman here in Sarasota that did a piece for me on ABC7. Um, and uh, she had a horse. And I've always been around horses in my life. Well, you didn't mention that, so uh, is this another thing that started in your childhood? Yeah, yeah. I've always been around horses, um, working at stables and, you know, wanting to ride them. And, you know, so as a, um, as a kid, uh, I'm not sure when it started, but a young teen... My, my mom or dad or one of my sibs would drive me out to a far part of Rhode Island and I would um, stay the weekend and do an outri- I'll be the outrider wow. for, for the stepping stone stables. And that's what I did. And then um, I would go to camp. They would send us all to camp over the summertime. And I would go to riding camp. And then um, that's how I would, I would do it. So I've always wanted a, a farm. Ah. You know, so I built this for myself. You know, my brother said to me, Betsy, you can't have all of your dreams. And I said, yeah, who said so? <laughs> no, I can. I can have mine. That's another part that's on that video. But um, so I, I built this stuff. This place um, saves me in mind, body, and soul. Yeah, I believe you. You know, and so when I'm, I'm fussing, I'm fussing, I just go out and take care of an animal who just gives it right back. Yes. You, yeah. know, you can't diss yourself, if you will. You can't keep on dissing yourself when you have all of these people and animals that have responsibility. They need you. They need you. They need you. So I can't just do that. So again, this is you, you found the perfect thing for you. This is helping fixing saving, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of, of dependent beings um, who need it. And who immediately appreciate it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yep. so let's just say you have two horses here, two ponies, and two burros. You have two amazing dogs and three cats. Mm-hmm. And I know that you feed the sand crane and you feed the deer who come mm-hmm. running up to the mm-hmm. fence to be yep. fed by you, right? Yep. So you have collected a group of beings, right, who need the help you can give. And in a way, it's, it's the perfect solution for you, no? 
It has to be. You know, I need to, you know, some people say, I need a schedule. I need to do things every day. Well, I do. I do. It's built in. People go, oh, this, that's really hard work, or this is that. I said, oh, you know, that's, that's my life, and I've built it that way with purpose. Yes, yes. Some days it is overwhelming. You know, it is hard. It's, you know, working, doing this, this hurricane thing is just still, you know. It's very, very difficult for me. However, it will get over, too. Yes, and hopefully not come again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yep. All right. So um, I know that you are an active photographer because, in my experience of you, much of the time you had a camera around your neck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so talk about that, your relationship to photography. Well, photography has always been my love first. And, you know, always, you know, I can't say first. And, no, because, because you have everything for yes, you as first. You know, and so, um, but my doctrine when I was very, very young, you know, and I learned how to do black and white film and take pictures and develop them and print them and see things in very different ways than a lot of people can see things. And I think that the belief system is that what you see is what you see. What you see is what you see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't see necessarily what I see in an image, that's okay. Because I'm happy to see what I see. I'm content with my work. And my work has taken me uh, around the world. And oh, tell me. This, this book, um, I like going out of country. Sometimes working in America and taking pictures of Americans is not very satisfying to me in any way. Yes. You so know? where have you gone? Um, let's see, I have been, I studied in Greece. Really, where? Um, Skopelos. Skopelos, Skiathos, and Alanasis are the um, islands of the most northern of the Aegean. Mm-hmm. And they're not very well traveled at that time. I studied with um, the director of um, photography for mass art, and we went for a month at, you know, out there. And then um, they had a doctrine for us to work. And then I um, studied with Mary Ellen Mark, who's another master photographer in Oaxaca, Mexico, for several years. And, you know, yeah, you have a style. And then I've been to workshops throughout, and uh, you have a style. As a medical professional, I was, um, you know, I taught in Dublin at the Dublin Fire Brigade. And then I taught in India for, you know, brief brief spans of of time. But you, you have a different, you know, you get a different culture, which is great. And the, in America, when somebody lifts a camera, they say, say cheese, say cheese. <laughs> I walk away. Uh-huh. I walk away from that. You uh-huh. know, I don't think that it's necessary for somebody to say cheese to somebody. You know, an image is something that you give me as a, as a gift. Yes. I don't make your image. You give it up. And when you're ready, I'll be ready too. That's why you have to take your camera when you have it. So um, that's photo- photography for me is every opportunity. I'll, you know, I see it when, the, when it's given to me, I will take it. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about the book. The book is called Encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me how it evolved. Well, how, how did it come about? What was the impetus for it? When I got sick, um, and shortly after I got sick, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, uh, I was just out of my mind. Um, pissy, and I was depressed, and all I wanted to do was die, just die, and I had no problem telling everybody, that's what I want, <laughs> I'm just going to kill myself tonight, and sometimes I try. Mm-hmm. So this woman um, found me um, uh, after I tried to kill myself with pills, 
she found you physically? Yeah, she found physically. you. Physically. Yeah, physically. And, um, you know, she, she tried to help me um, get a grip. And one of the things that she did it with was she created a life-saving maneuver of her own. And so um, we would go take pictures. And um, when we would take pictures, I started to grab onto people and touch them and just go for their hands and like that. And she was watching, and she would photograph me, you know. And so this is the, the part where um, she, she was watching. And she's done a, um, a quotation in the book itself and how um, she would watch me begin to, you know, um, communicate with these people with my hands. And that started in 2004. This is 2017. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, my goodness. Right? So now the book is, is going to be published based on, based on that stuff there, with the communication of, of people and the, the grip of hands and the touch. And, you know, without, if you don't have a language to speak to somebody to, you know, you know um, for uh, if they're speaking Spanish, if they're speaking French, if they're speaking Greek, Whatever, you, if you don't have the ability to talk to them, you can't communicate with your hands. Yes. People are not afraid of that out of country. Very, very different here. Yes. You know, yeah. very different here. And so I like to go out of this country to create. So the photographs are um, some of which were taken in country, some of which were taken out of country? The majority, out- the majority of the pictures are out of country. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so when so th- this is a long evolution from 2004 to 2017. Mm-hmm. So when did it begin to turn itself into a book? Tolly told me that um, she said, "This is you've got to do this, Betsy. You know, this is a this is a project. You have to put this. You know." So when I so told when her, did she tell you that? Oh, shortly after we started working together. Ah. You know, because now I had a you know a plethora of of images that go into what we consider to be my own galleries, my libraries, and she said you need to do this. And so when I told her that it's done, she said, "Oh man, I told you you need to do this. <laughs> I have your, your life's work in this." You know, so she's coming to the opening, and she'll make a presentation. And there's a couple of other people that you know made some difference in my life, and that's that. All right, good. So um, now it's time to talk about the opening, when it's coming, and all that stuff. So let's tell. So um, my friend Sonia Carroll, and um, she, I met her um, at one of her performances, and we, we communicated in a way that she needed somebody to photograph for her CD, you know, to help her, you know, get the CD done. So I photographed her, her CD images, and now, you know, Ed, her husband, offered for us to have the opening at the Starlight Club. Yes. You know, an introduction to her, her singing and playing. So we'll, we'll do our book signing on November 5th and, uh, you know, create people to come and understand what this is all about. And Chris, the editor, asked me, Betsy, why now? Yeah. Why did you want to do this book now? I said, well, you know, um, I feel like it's, it's ready to hit, you know, hit the public in such a way that, you know, um, the book, when you look at the images, you don't, I don't hear people say, well, that's a black hand, that's a white hand, well, that's a Chinese hand. <laughs> yeah, it's true, people say when they look at the pictures, oh, those are dirty hands. Oh, no. Oh, those are old hands. Oh. And this and that, and the way people are, the way people are. They judge. Judgmental people. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the ethnicity, 
is hardly mentioned. You do see people when the book is in front of you, um, you know, manually, people put their hands out and touch those hands. <laughs> touch the hands as if they were there, mm -hmm. you know, as yes. if they were there. And so, you know, I mean, it's time in this, this, this cultureless time when we have, uh, you know, a fucked up situation going on that people, you know, they look at it and they touch it and they're soothed. Mm-hmm. Yet soothed. again, taking care and fixing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just another, another way for you to fix, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so the, uh, the opening and the book signing, it's November 5th, Sunday, November 5th, mm. at the Starlight Club on Coconut Avenue mm. and 10th Street. The book signing is from 4.30 to 6 at Starlight. Yeah. And uh, from 6 to 9, you will get to see Sanaya Carroll, who is amazing mm -hmm. uh, also. And right. then when she has her breaks, they will be signing. Ah, uh, good. Okay, good. All right, so... Um, do you have plans for the future that are different from the past? Um, I think I need to do some, um, some presenting, you know, that I have very, very different types of galleries. And then at the Starlight, um, I'm hoping to do a gallery presentation there. And, um, you mean to put your photographs Yeah, up? Yeah, a piece of work, a mm -hmm. big piece of work. The, um, the manager of the Starlight Club... Um, Tyler is going to come here to my house. Oh yes, and we're going to draw from the gallery and begin to, I think, make the the, um, the Starlight Club more of an aesthetically pleasing um, environment. Lovely, you know that kind of thing. Lovely. So the photographs should be up there by the time you do the opening. They, yeah, be the other. point is that there'll be images from the book on the wall, so that people who, um, for instance, the first person who buys a book to be signed will get an image off the wall. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to get there early then. Right. So it'll be <laughs> it'll be a fully, you know, complete, you know, canvas space stretched image. So that's the goal. Okay, so at this time in your life, aside from your uh your peaceful space here, your work with your animals, your the the requirements of this place that keep you busy 24-7 or every day of the week, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the additional focus will be on getting your images out, um, presenting the photographs. Is, did I get that right? Yeah, and also I think I might want to do for um, some education for um, teaching. You know, I, I'll, when I first got here, I wanted to do, you know, uh, kids, um, you know, or people more of um, offering, you know, a therapeutic environment for you know either kids with needs or elders with needs you know teaching them how to um, put their hands in clay you know ah, yes. and, and soothe them like that but I haven't been able to figure that out yet okay but that's a project for the near future or that's that's on the list right mm -hmm. yeah right yeah unfortunately in this part of America there's a um, you know there's a, um, a lawsuit capability you know that that people could get, you know, um, sue me. It would sue me under certain... If, if what? Well, in any, in any situation that they could find. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Have you experienced that? Um, no, no, because I've always worked under universities or under my own business name. But <sighs> I don't trust people um, not to take the opportunity. Yes. 
Yes. So, you know, you've really got to look at that now and say, okay. Yeah, you have you to know. be cautious. Yes. You have to be careful. Yeah. Right, right. But it does seem as though your father's training to take care of yourself has really served you. Oh, in many ways. In many ways. You know. Well, just, I was just thinking, you know, that you are, you know, you're self-contained. You're, 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 you're all right. What are the many ways you were thinking? Of? Well, my dad, you know, my, my dad, um, in the way that he worked was, you know, um, you know, you make a dollar from a penny, you make a hundred dollars from a penny. I mean, it was basically monetarily pushed. Right. But, um, for instance, I remember li- I lived in Gulf Gate East before I moved here, and it was a bad storm, and when I got out from my Pilates class, the storm was just a torrential rain, and I came home, and my pool was almost overflowing. I'm like, oh, shit, you know? And so I said, okay, I know what to do. So I went to the hardware store, and I bought a hose, and I needed a long hose. And the guy goes, I said, I need an 80-foot hose. And he goes, what do you need? Just get me the hose. He said, what kind of hose? I said, a garden hose. Mm-hmm. He said, what? And I said, I got to siphon water out of my pool. He said, oh, that's not going to work. I said, yes, it will. <laughs> get me the hose. So he gets me the hose, and so I go and attach the hose to one of the jets in the pool, and I clamp off the hose on the other side while it's in the driveway. And then basically I went over to, you know, put all the water in the hose to create a flow of water. And then I opened up the end of the hose and created a vacuum and drained the water out of the pool. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Very simple. Yeah. Yes, I know, when you know how. Mm. And yes. you know how. Yeah, my yeah. dad taught me all that stuff, though. You know, those are my father's skills. And they have served you really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, you, you have a life that you have lived a life that's dramatically different from um, the life that many people have lived. Do you disagree? No. Most people say, no, is there anything you can, you do everything, Betsy, is there anything you can't do? And so finally after that, now I say, you know, is it, what, do you want me to apologize for having so many talents and using them? Okay, so what you just said, I think it's so important, and I really want to highlight it, that you, you said, what, do I have to apologize for all the talents that I have? And in fact, I think one of the things that's a problem for so many people is that they don't let themselves discover all the talents that they have, that, um, that, that they restrict themselves. And also that, unfortunately, sometimes people are jealous of other people who have mm-hmm. lots of talents. Right. And and so they disparage it in some ways. And I um, I was interested to hear you say that because it, that, that's a, a point of view I also share. So um, have you experienced that? Always. My, my whole life. Yeah. Could you talk just a little bit about my that? My whole life. Is there anything you, you can't do, Betsy? Is there anything you can't do? However, the little boy next door. Nate is the grandson of my, my neighbor, and he's about 11 years old. And we were sitting having dinner, and he says to me, Betsy, you have so many talents. Just like that. And I said, it is. So nice the way you put that. I, I'm thankful. Because in his innocence, he doesn't have to compete with this. Mm-hmm. He can just value it for what it is, yeah. right? Yes, and the other thing about that is that when, when you demonstrate to a child that it's okay to have lots of talents, then essentially, without saying it, you are able, you can, you convey that they too can have lots of talents. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? Yep. People, you know, they come in here, you know, and then 
there's people that can really just appreciate what they see. Mm-hmm. Just appreciate it. You know, because I like showing, you know, what, what's here. You know, I don't necessarily have to show off, but yes, I do. Why not? Right? Yes, I do. And say, oh, man, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. You know, and say, you know, oh, man, I redecorated this, you know, and I spent a lot of time over here. So I want to show it to you, you know, or, you know, let me, oh, I have to show you my barn. You know, and that kind of thing. Yes. You want to show it, but there's and the, people. And I just want to say the barn's amazing. Mm, thank you. <laughs> You're but welcome. There's people that, that can't take it in. You know, they, they, that's too much for them. They're, they're, um, they're not jealous, they're envious. Yes. You know, they're, they're, um, they're intimidated. Well, you know, what I believe that is, is that they have a governor in cars. They had what they called the governor, and it kept the car from going too fast. It yes. was on the, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So people have governors about, you know, they get just so much. They can just do so much. They can be just so proud. They can be just so talented. And then they get anxious, or they get, or somebody will be mad at them, or it's not okay, or it's not nice. And so when they see somebody who has simply opened her heart and her mind and her hands to everything that she can do, that's very scary to people because it says to them, what about you? I am actually in awe of everything that you do. Thank you. And it's appreciated. You know, when I'm pissy, I'm creating, when I'm throwing something, I make a pissy pee. (laughs) The piece is pissy too. Uh It shows you my anger. Yes. Whereas, you know, when I'm chilling, you know, you can see the difference between something I can throw and, you know, and just make the huge pieces and just chill myself. Whereas when I'm pissy, <laughs> you know, yeah, I do. Art. it's the same thing with Salvatore Dali. You know, when you look at his work mm-hmm. and you look and you can see, you know, here's a mentally ill guy, right? Yes. Most artists are. Most people have some level of mental illness. I don't care what anybody says. No, you know, so when you look at his work, you look at this, this creature that, that he makes, and they, um, just the other day, I went out with my camera and I photographed street by street by street of the um, debris that Irma left us. Yes. And I will create a piece of art um, that um, the creations of Irma. Not the destructions, but right? But the creations. Yes, right. Yeah. And again, it's all in the way you see it, right? Mm-hmm. And there is no one-size-fits-all thing way to see things. People see them the way they see them. That's what you said, mm-hmm. right? And that you are someone who is able to create what you see in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I want to say one more thing about the animals. Because watching you with the animals is... Um, is seeing what it should be like to be with innocence. That you treat your animals with regard and with respect, and they respond completely to mm-hmm. you. And it's beautiful to watch. It's really you know, beautiful. That, that is for me everything. Yeah. That's everything. You know, one of my. Um, my money, my money, my little short money out there, he has because when his foot gets wet. Oh, which is he? What is he? He's the, he's the smaller barrel. He's the barrel, retired barrel racer. And um, a couple of days ago, now about a week ago, he was, he was lame. And lame being he's limping on his back leg. Bad. Warrior. So I took the, checked it out. I can smell it. It smells thrush. You yeah. know, like that. Yeah. So I um, basically... Um, take care of him, take care of him, and um, 
and today he's walking better, and every day in night I have to I have to tenderly, you know, take care of his foot. So in the morning now I take them all out of their stalls and let them sit with me, and again it's soothing for me and soothing for him, and just nice, nice every morning, every morning, every night, every night. But he feels better now, and he he can actually equate. The fact that I helped him feel better. Yes. That's the point. Yes, I got it. I yeah. understand. And, you know, we, we have said over and over again that you have incredible skills, many skills. You can do anything you can think of. But it seems to me that the through line in your life is helping, fixing, saving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just do it in every way that you can think of. Mm-hmm. And, um, See that badge over there? Yes. That's my medic badge. You see that trophy over there? Yes. That's my, um, my high school trophy. So I was the president of my school, not just the class, but of my school. And I was voted most humorous. Most humorous. Most popular. Most popular. And most likely to succeed. And most likely to succeed. And, and you have lived up to that in spades. Yeah, but you know, yeah, but... No, yeah, yeah, but... You know, yeah, there's a yeah, but to that, is that there's a lot of other people that have, too, that didn't get the accolades. They didn't get the credit. Right. Right? They didn't get the credit. And... I feel for those people. You feel for everyone. Yeah, but I feel, I feel for people that people don't pay attention to. She always say to me, Betsy, you know, you're the most non-judgmental person I've ever met in my life. And, you know, I said, um, for you to recognize the fact that I am so non-judgmental is because you are so yes, judgmental. Right, 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 right. You know, though you might not like to think so. You know, I'm like, so you go away. So, again, I just want to, I just want to say this in, really in the way of closing, that, um, that you are in this world, it seems to me, to make the world better. And I think everybody who interacts with you and has the good fortune to benefit from all of the different things that you do um, are fortunate and um, and I agree with you lots of people are not given the credit for what they have done in their life but you have thank you and um, so I think that's a good place to stop. Thank you so much, Betsy Kurtz. Yeah, oh, and come out and buy the book and, um, and experience an encounter yes, with that Betsy. Night. <laughs> yeah, that night. It's going to be fun, you know. I'm sure it will. So I interview people who make their living or their life with an art, like Betsy, who makes so much of her living and so much of her life with her art. I do it because when you listen to people like Betsy, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. When you listen to Betsy, you know that you are hearing exactly who she is. And it is my hope that when you listen to Betsy, you're asking yourself, is this how I feel about my life? Is this how I have given myself permission to be all that I can be? And of course, I hope that if that is true, I'm happy for you, but if it is not true, and if you'd like to talk to me about or you'd like to get on my email list, go to my website, thelinshow.com, T-H-E-L-Y-N-N-E-S-H-O-W, 
and click on the email tab. Tell me you want to talk to me or you want to get on my email list. And now, as always, I sure hope you got something you can use from this show. Something that inspired you to ask yourself if you are the person you really are. Something that'll bring you back because I will be back next week, same time, same station. And as always, I sure hope you will be too. You see, I'm getting older. My hair is turning gray. Always in my face and figure. Into that good night I won't go with a whimper I am going with a bang Life's a song I keep on singing Not a tune that I once sang I just keep returning Like some goddamn Off the stage, let someone else get on. Well, I, I won't be relegated or leave without a fight. No, I will not go gentle into that good night. got some tang so you won't hear me simple I may have gotten